Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, GoodPods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As for our social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, and on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza. And also have an email address, Let's Talk Micro at Outlook.com, where you can, you know, uh, provide any feedback, any suggestions, like any possible topics. They are always welcome and appreciated. And definitely, uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave a review if the app allows you to do so. And as always, you know, any feedback, any suggestions, you know, they are always welcome and appreciated. But definitely, thank you for the support. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. It was actually two episodes that came out last week. And they were about my experience at the American Society for Microbiology, Microbe 2023. So, as I mentioned, you know, that was my first time going. I really enjoyed it. I met some great people from, from guests that had been on the podcast to people that hadn't been on the podcast, but, you know, great microbiologists. And I also met listeners. So, overall, it was a great experience. And it was amazing that I also met fellow podcasters and microbiologists, uh, John and Tess. They have a podcast called The Micro Moment. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, definitely go ahead and do so. But on one of the episodes, you know, they sat with me and they also, you know, they talked about their, their experience at ASM Microbe and, you know, what they liked, what they liked about it. So it was a great conversation with them. And then one of the other episode, I went over posters and some of the talks that I went over uh, while I was there and that I enjoyed. So definitely, you know, check it out if you attend the microbe. It's a great way to, yeah, go back. And if you listen to the posters that I like, maybe you can go ahead and check them out. But definitely, it was a great experience and I loved it. So on today's episode, we are talking about parasitology again. You know, a few weeks ago, Dr. Bobby Pritt from the Mayo Clinic Laboratories she came to the podcast and gave us an overview on parasitology. So in this episode, she actually, you know, she returns to the podcast and talks about digital parasitology. So those of us, you know, medical lab scientists, you know, like in hematology, your analysis, you have instruments that use digital technology. So she comes to, to talk about, you know, AI and an algorithm that they implemented in, the, in their lab for parasitology. And in the episode, you know, she talks about this algorithm, you know, she mentions that originally colleagues at the ARUP laboratories, you know, they helped train an algorithm working with a company called TechSite. And in essence, you know, this is like an AI. And this is used for permanently mounted smears that are actually stained with trichrome. And this is for protozoa. So she goes over, you know, the system, how it works. Uh, what do you do with the results? You know, how did the system perform overall? How did it do compared to the standard uh, manual read that is, that is done by a person, you know, with a microscope? So I think, you know, it's just, it sounds great. It seems that there are many benefits to this. 
it can you know it rules out the negatives and it can free the technologists so they can go ahead and do other things a lot of times you know that there can be frustration with parasitology here in the u.s because we get a lot of negatives and it's a very intensive test you know it requires time it requires expertise and sometimes you know seeing them making many negatives it can lead to like fatigue and people might lose interest in their job so we don't want that right we always want retention so it sounds that it's doing very well you know it was great to hear that the you know the technologists over there and at mayo you know they led the validation the implementation so it's always great you know hearing about passionate people so i hope you enjoyed this episode and learn about digital parasitology with dr bobby print let's go ahead and listen to it so those of you that work in the laboratory you have definitely seen in in areas like you know like your analysis and hematology where digital images are starting to make a big part of big part of the workflow so they definitely you know they assist us with the volume they help in identification and then they basically require someone a lot of times you know just verifying the images anything that's questionable they require the technologist making a determination but what about uh, digital images in parasitology so you know i thought this would be a great topic and uh, a couple of episodes back you know we had dr uh, bobby Pritt. And she gave us an overview of parasitology. So today she's a guest on the podcast again, and she's going to talk about digital parasitology. So Dr. Britt, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Well, thank you, Lewis. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be back here again. So uh, just a quick intro for myself, for those of you who didn't catch the previous session, I'm Bobby Pritt, and I am the director of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic, and I specifically am the lab director, medical director of the parasitology laboratory. So my areas of interest are medical parasitology and vector-borne diseases, and also I, I've had an increasing interest in artificial intelligence and digitalization and informatics and how it could really help us in the laboratory. Um, you know, welcome back again. You know, it's great having you. Um, you know, I had the chance to see you during ASM Microbe and meet you in person. And that was great. And unfortunately, due to other things, I missed your talk. But I understand that definitely there was a lot of turnout, a lot of standing room only. Um, and Microbe was a great event and I learned a lot and had a great time. So... So I understand that you recently began using an, an AI, artificial intelligence algorithm, in the clinical parasitology lab, you know, for, to assist technologists with parasite detection in stool specimens. You know, wh what can you tell us about this algorithm? You know, is it something that's already being used or is it new? Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, had seen some work that were, was done by my colleagues at ARUP Laboratories, where they helped to train an algorithm working with a company called TechSite, uh, an algorithm that was specifically designed for permanent mounted and stained stool preparations, trichrome specifically, uh, stained stool preparations. And they really showed great results in increasing their ability to detect, reliably identify 
my intestinal protozoa using this method. So this method is now out there commercially available by this company called TechSite. And that's the one we're using in my laboratory. There are others that are available for those that are interested. Uh, but based on the success of this, we decided to implement it into our laboratory for identifying protozoa in trichrome stained stool specimens. Importantly, we are using it as a tool to help our technologists. It is still the technologists, our subject matter experts that are making the final call. Yes, and, and we touched on this on the other episode that sometimes, you know, especially and it helps the technologists and this can be very labor intensive. You know, like we, like we touched on, you know, it just, it requires expertise, you know, a lot of times sitting on the microscope and then here we don't see as many parasites. So you, a lot of times, you know, you're spending all those hours, all that time, and it's just mostly negatives. So it can be, you know, like we talked about uh, sometimes, you know, it can lead to fatigue and, and text, you know, can get bored even because, you know, you come to this and you're sitting there and don't see anything and just all those hours. So this definitely sounds, you know, like something uh, very good. And like I touched on the introduction, it's been using other areas as well. So what was the, the motivation or goal behind implementing this? Well, Lewis, that's a great question. And as you just mentioned, this is a, a highly subjective, labor-intensive exam that requires highly trained, skilled, and experienced technologists to perform. And it's something that uh, can be very interesting. Uh, I think it's very uh, nice to see parasites under the under the microscope. But at the same time, the majority of the specimens that we look at in resource-rich non-endemic countries are negative. So that means that 95% of the time, looking at the slides, you're not going to be seeing parasites. That can lead to fatigue, ergonomic issues of just screening multiple slides, and also just low staff satisfaction of looking at all those negatives. It also runs the risk of just becoming distracted after looking at negatives and potentially missing a positive specimen. So we identified this as a great place to start for implementing AI in the microbiology laboratory because of the high volume and the screening aspect of looking for the metaphorical needle in a haystack, the 5% positives out of our full array of multiple negative exams. Yes. And, um, you know, like sometimes like you just touch on it when, especially, you know, that many negatives, sometimes, you know, we kind of run the risk of falling in, you know, like an autopilot mode. And, and like you said, you know, definitely can lead to missing something. It's just, you know, it's, it's, you're not seeing anything. So you're going through the motions and sometimes one, yeah, you can definitely uh, miss it. So when it comes to, right, when we come to, when it comes to tests, definitely, you know, as, as technologists, as laboratorians, you know, we think about Things such as, you know, how does it work? You know, we think about samples. Um, you touch on protozoa. So is that the only uh, type of parasite that is intended for? Uh, you know, how long does it take to obtain a result? So limitations. So overall, how does the test work? Yeah, let me walk you through the steps. So first of all, this particular test, this algorithm is only for identifying protozoa in permanently stained trichrome stained uh, stool smears. So this would not apply to malaria, blood blood smears, for example, although that's certainly something that could be looked at for future algorithms. But for this, we're just looking at protozoa on trichrome stained stool specimens. And it does require some thoughtful uh, deliberation on how this will be implemented into the laboratory because there are multiple steps involved. You first need to prepare the slides and to 
best accommodate digital screening and digitalization of the slides, you actually need a fairly thin monolayer of stool. You don't want it to be a thick layer because the scanner and then the subsequent algorithm will have a hard time interpreting those results. And you don't want it to be variable. You want it to be a very homogeneous monolayer. So that was the first thing we had to consider um, in preparing the slides. You make a slide with a nice thin monolayer. The slide then needs to be cover slipped with a permanent mounting media so it can be scanned. Now we validated a scanner made by a company called Hamamatsu, and it was validated for use with this algorithm, but there are many other scanners out there. This scanner can uh, read the barcodes on the slides, communicate with our lab information system, and it can do 360 slides at a time. So our technologists will make the slides with that thin monolayer. The slides will be stained with our traditional trichrome stain. Uh, we actually are using a, a modified version called uh, echo stain and then they're cover slipped with a permanent mounting media media it's fast drying so within an hour or so they're ready to be scanned and we can scan them overnight the scanned image that digitalized slide is then fed into the algorithm the algorithm is very fast it will identify fields of interest that our technologists can look at and then the technologists can within minutes, even seconds, roll out negatives or identify the slides that need further review. So every every slide, the, the technologist has to make the determination. So they're looking at the images and they're negative. Okay, accept. You know, I see something, go ahead and accept. So, but every every call has to be made by the technologist. So they're just looking at the images that's been scanned. Okay. Right. It truly is a tool that our technologists use, but they ultimately are making the final decision. And the software presents them with what is identified. The software will scan through using artificial intelligence. And from its training, it knows what things that our parasites look like, and it will present those as little thumbnails to the technologist. And then the technologist can agree or disagree with what the computer has found. Um, and we right now are using a policy where if it finds anything that the technologist does feel is indeed a parasite, then we pull that slide and confirm it using the glass slide. And that's fine because only 5% of our specimens are positive. For the 95% that are negative, most of the time, we could just look at what the algorithm showed us. We validated it so we know that it's very sensitive. And if we don't see anything that we think is a parasite, we could just quickly screen out those 95%. And uh, we've gone for about, from about a five-minute screen on a negative specimen to somewhere between 15 and 30 seconds. Oh, wow. That freeze the technologist to go do other things. So I'm guessing the reception has been very positive, right? It has been. It's really been a, an, a, an investigation and now implementation led by our technologists. I looked at it. Um, I thought it was quite promising. I had read the literature. I had talked to the company, but it would have not been implemented in my lab. It would have failed if our technologists had not also reviewed it and found it to be really promising. And once our parasitology technologists that were really uh, experts in the field looked at this and were excited about it, it was really a no-brainer to bring it in. And 
they led the whole process, the evaluation, the subsequent validation, and then the implementation. And we actually went live with our full lab just earlier this week. We had a big celebration. We had cookies with frosting that looked like uh, Giardia on them. It was fun. And we had matching t-shirts. So it was a great event for us. We implemented it and now our whole staff is on board. It's an essential part of artificial intelligence or any type of new technology. You need to make sure that it's really a good technology that your folks that are the boots on the ground doing the work every day um, see value in. Otherwise, it's going to fail. You need to have support and buy-in from your staff. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, it's yeah, I mean the techs, you know, they're the ones that are there, like you say, you know, boots on the ground, and they're doing the the bulk of the testing under daily, you know, day in and day out. So, so definitely it sounds like it was a good, you know, team effort. And it's always nice, right. When you have like very motivated people and those of us that, you know, that we enjoy what we do. And so they, they went with the validation and everything. So as far as, you know, with, with instruments, right. Sometimes, you know, there are some, some limitations. Uh, are there any for this type of software? There are. Um, so first of all, it is an expensive system. You have to buy the scanner to digitalize your slides. And um, scanners can be quite expensive. They can be large. The one that we have is a freestanding unit that is not quite as tall as I am. Um, I should say that I'm only five foot two, so <laughs> I'm not that tall, but it's still a fairly large piece of equipment in the laboratory. The other thing is that the systems that are available right now, like the tech site algorithm we're using, um, they are not FDA approved. So you have to validate these tests as laboratory developed tests, which we're very accustomed to doing at Mayo Clinic. We're a specialized laboratory. We do a lot of laboratory developed tests, but for a laboratory that is not used to doing that, it might be a bit out of their comfort zone. Now, I think the field is changing so quickly, we will eventually have commercial systems that will be FDA approved. So I would say for everyone listening who's interested in this, uh, <clears throat> stay tuned. There are going to be commercial systems that will be easier to implement in the future. And the other potential downside is if you are actually creating your own algorithm from scratch, training the algorithm, that requires a whole different level of skill and expertise that I would say most of us do not have. That's not what we're doing in my lab. We're using a, a system that's already been developed, but certainly you could, if you had the expertise, even develop your own algorithms. Okay. And um, so, and then as you were, you know, you definitely talked about, you know, your scanners, the components, you know, you mentioned that the, the technologists, they went ahead and, you know, they led the validation. So as far as, you know, the, the components, right. So so those, everyone in the lab, you know, you know that, right? So you bring a test and always, you know, with a validation, you run an X amount of samples and make sure you need to compare to like a reference method. So, so what do you do for this uh, type of software? Like about how many samples, what was involved? Yeah, well, let me walk you through the whole process and I'll actually take a step back and start with all the validations we had to do before we even started validating the algorithm. So I mentioned, Lewis, first that we went from a thicker stool smear, a more conventional smear, to a thinner monolayer. And we had to validate that to make sure we weren't making the specimen so thin we were missing parasites. One of the ways that we kept our sensitivity high is we went from using an uncon unconcentrated stool specimen to a concentrated stool specimen to make our slide. And that's a little 
out of the ordinary, usually people use the unconcentrated stool specimen to make your permanent mounted smear, but there's no reason why you couldn't use the concentrated specimen. And by doing that, we increased our sensitivity for detecting parasites. So when we compared the conventional thicker method to the newer concentrated thinner method, we saw no difference uh, in our ability to, de to detect parasites. So that was step number one. And that was actually probably one of the more important components of the validation is preparing the specimens so they could be scanned and making sure you're not starting off with a suboptimal preparation. We also had to cover slip our, our preparations, our, our slides. We used to just use a cover slip with some immersion oil. It was a temporary mount. Now we were moving to a permanent mount because if you're putting something into a scanner, you can't have the cover, cover slip moving around. So we had to validate that. That was very simple, but we, we did it anyway. We also bought an automated cover slipper. Our volumes are so high, it made sense. So we had to validate that. We then consolidated down to a single stain instead of using a conventional trichrome and an echo stain, the proprietary stain that we buy because we use EchoFix as our fixative, we just decided to use EchoFix for echo stain for all preparations. And we validated that. So this is this isn't even validating the algorithm. This is just getting ready to validate the algorithm. We had to do all of these process modifications. Once we did all of this and we were satisfied that we had these very beautiful, very uh, sensitive preparations, we then moved on to validate the AI algorithm itself. And because it was a laboratory developed test, it's we're validating, we're doing a full validation. We had to do accuracy, precision, uh, reproduce uh, reportable range, reference range, but we also then had to look at analytical sensitivity and analytical specificity. So we did all of those experiments. For accuracy, we had 142 stool specimens of which 83 were positive. So we did a good mix of positives and negatives. And we made sure that the positives included the full array of parasites that are detectable by this algorithm. Remember, the algorithm is just protozoan parasites, and there's a number of protozoan parasites that the algorithm has been trained on. It encompasses the full spectrum of what you would find in a stool specimen. So we made sure we included all of those. We did a side-by-side -side comparison with our conventional manual method. And I was very pleased to see for accuracy, we had 80... Um, 82 positive specimens that were positive by the manual review, the conventional review, 83 by the artificial intelligence review. So the AI algorithm actually detected one additional positive. The manual result found, uh, found white blood cells in 24 specimens. The AI algorithm found white blood cells in 29. So the AI algorithm found more white blood cells. It also found more red blood cells. So all in all, we were very pleased. And of course, any of the discrepancies we went back and reviewed in a blinded manner, and we confirmed they were indeed positive. They were just missed by the manual. So shows the enhanced power of having a computer that doesn't get tired and examines a large area in a very efficient standardized method. We then did precision. We just, we did intra-run and um, inter inter-assay on multiple days, uh, precision, just to make sure that it would keep giving us the same answer if you see, if you scan the same slide on different days. 
the other major component I'll, I'll touch on that's quite important is we looked at analytical sensitivity. Basically, what is your limit of detection? How low can you go? And for that, we took uh, posit three positive specimens with a range of commonly seen parasites. And for each of those positive specimens, we made twofold dilutions with Echofix, the fixative we use, and we, we made them out until we got to a point where parasites were no longer detected. So from each dilution, we then made six slides. So we had 144 total slides. And then all of the slides were reviewed in a blinded manner by uh, several different technologists, as well as by the AI algorithm. And so it was a lot of work, a lot of slides to review. But we found that the AI algorithm detected parasites either at the same level as manual or at even lower concentrations. We required six out of six dilutions to be positive to call that a limit of detection. So for example, on specimen number one, um, at a one to 32 dilution, the manual method detected the six out of six, uh, but at a one to 64 dilution, one further dilution, the AI algorithm still detected six out of six. So that's an example on specimen number one, where the AI algorithm was more sensitive. It went out to a further dilution. Um, interestingly, when we went out all the way to one to 128, as far as dilutions go, the AI algorithm continued to detect parasites, whereas by that point, the manual method had dropped off. We were no longer detecting parasites at those furthest dilutions. So it was an extensive process. That's uh, kind of just a high level summary, but we really felt that the AI algorithm was accurate, sensitive and reproducible, which is really all the things we were looking for. Definitely sounds you know, like a lot, a lot of things you know, work well with this and, and maybe if you have anything else to add to that. And as far as any challenges to this, I mean, you kind of mentioned about right around the way that you have to prepare the sample, you know, how you put it. So any other challenges that you experienced during this? Well, we're in the process of training everyone and implementing this in the laboratory. I will say that for people wanting to approach this, we started off with some super users where we had three people that were at a higher level of training and could start doing the, using this algorithm right away, but we didn't try to bring in the entire lab all at once. Now we're a high volume reference lab, so we may have six or seven people reading parasitology slides on a given shift, but we didn't have all of them right away. We started with a more stepwise approach. That was helpful, but I would say for anyone thinking about bringing this in, you really want to approach it as the full process, doing all the upfront methods to guarantee your success, making sure that your preparations are very thin, monolayers, doing all those validations up front that you need to do. Um, validate the AI algorithm once you're ready, but then on the back, on the other end, making sure that you've done the training, that everyone feels comfortable with the method, that it is uh, reporting to your lab information system. You don't want to, all those steps are important. The pre-analytical, the analytical, the post-analytical, all the way through, um, you need to make sure that your technologists are comfortable with all of that and getting your staff involved in the process. So they're the champions and the subject matter experts. That's essential to success. I definitely agree. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? No, I think we covered all the major points. I think that this is an exciting technology. 
it can be judiciously used. It's not going to be the, you know, final solution for all of our woes. We'll have to use it like a tool, uh, just like all the other tools that we use. And I think a, a major point to remember is that this is not replacing people. Besides the fact that we have workforce shortages across the country, um, it's it's making our people that we have be able to do their job more effectively and hopefully improve their job satisfaction and freeing them up from some of the less satisfying aspects of their job so they can really focus on the work that excites them and makes them want to come to work every day. Yeah, I'm going to as a tech, I definitely, you know, I, I identify with that. And yeah, when you find yourself in a place, yeah, where you don't see that motivation and you start getting or you know bored or sometimes you know your job is not satisfying you so i can see how this can help and and definitely you know yeah the worry can be sometimes right when you be when you bring instruments like this you know it's like are we being replaced but it's it's a it's a tool to aid us and and do our job better exactly well you know uh, dr pretty you no know, it's this has been great um again you know thank you for taking the time to coming into let's talk micro well, it's my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. My pleasure. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about digital parasitology with Dr. Bobby Pritt. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. So please continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. We do such great work. So always thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. Please continue downloading episodes and keeping that passion, remember. So as always, stay motivated. Stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.